I mean, I can make stuff up. Trust me, I'm good at that. But yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm your host, Matt Stratton. I'm really excited about today's show. I know it's been a while since we've had one, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be back. But before we get into all of the DevOps fun, a word from our sponsor. The worst thing about the Arrested DevOps podcast is when it ends. You're left wondering what to do next. What are you going to listen to on your commute home? How do you occupy your time when walking the dog? What are you going to listen to during the quarterly all-hands meeting? But fear not, dear listener, there is a solution. You need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly podcast that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon Wichard, will keep you up to date on all things cloud while offering tips on how to optimize your Costco haul and how to PowerPoint. It's a fun, free-flowing conversation that will keep you entertained and informed. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. So today I have a great guest who is Stephanie Stymack. Stephanie, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do and maybe how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on today, Matt. I'm also excited to do this. Um, So I'm currently a program manager on the Microsoft Edge developer experiences team. Um, And if you've ever seen me at like one of my conferences, I'm really, really fond of calling that like my fancy title. Um, Just because I, um, I, I've done a lot of different things that have sort of Um, contributed to the role I'm in today. So I come from a background in design. That's what I got my degree in, so web design. Um, And then in my job before Microsoft, um, I sort of fell into a role of designer and front-end developer. So um, I was at an agency for four years, and that's sort of where I really fell in love with, like, front-end development and code and solving those problems. And, like, I was responsible for, uh, like, the whole life cycle of a project. So I would get to do the UX design, and then I'd do the visual design, and then I was the one who would build that in code. And I really loved that. And then I spent four years at that company. Um, And then one day on Twitter, I got a DM from a PM on the Microsoft Edge team who was looking for uh, a designer, but in a PM role. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm extremely interested in that. Um, and ended up getting hired onto the Edge team. Um, and the first, so I'd say like the first three years that I was on the team, I was this hybrid role of designer front-end developer, and then PM. So I would sort of like lay out the requirements for what I was doing. I think like the best example of of one of my projects is the open source tool WebHint. So I was the designer on that, but I also worked with our other PMs who were developers. Um, And so we're kind of this like mix of multi-talented people with uh, PM titles. Um, And then... 
I had a brief stint on the Edge developer tools team doing design before we switched to Chromium and, and sort of leading the updates to visually refresh the Chromium dev tools to look like Microsoft dev tools. And then after about six months of that, I'm sort of landed in the role I'm in now, which is not so much designy anymore, but um, more PM program manager focused, uh, working with developers. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah, kind of touching all those all those pieces. So I really would love to to dig in a little bit about this idea of developer experience and whether that's capital D, capital E, or maybe the lowercase thing, because I, I feel like I've been hearing more about this lately, and maybe it's just because of who I'm talking to. Maybe y'all have been talking about it for years, and I just wasn't listening. But what when we think about developer experience, first of all, like what what does that mean from your perspective, and then a little bit. I want to kind of dig into why it matters, Mm -hmm. you know, so. So for me, I think, so developer experience in general is kind of this idea that uh, it's, I view it as a subset of user experience design, which I come from design. So it's probably why I'm like interested in this, Um, but it's just like the experience that developers have when they're using your product. Um, which in my case is a web browser. So I think developer experience in my case encompasses a lot more um, than maybe something like um, a like a framework or someone who's just putting out um, a design system or something like that, um, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's all the different levels. And I I think it's interesting. I've had this conversation, even thinking about like developer relations about how, depending on the kind of product, what that means is different because developer is a big word, right? It can Mm -hmm. mean a lot of different things depending upon what that user that you're talking about, the developer that is your customer is trying to build and how your product influences the work that they do, right? Is it a key, like I said, is it a key component? that they're building? Is it something that they're layering on top of something that's they're helping them leverage? And so when we kind of think about that evolution in how we were reasoning about going from user interface to user experience, and then like you said, your developer experience is even an extension or a superset of that to sort of say the thing, but like, why do I care? Right? Why does it matter? Because if the tool does the thing it's supposed to do, what what's the additional benefit to having a, a great developer experience? And then what is a great developer experience? So let me just talk a little bit too about like what edge developer experience encompasses. Yeah, Cause you great. did, you did sort of mention um, like, it seems like a new, not maybe not a new thing, but more people are talking about it. And when I first started on the edge team, there wasn't a developer experiences team. We, it was kind of split out. And so like DevTools was kind of their own team. And then the same with our web apps and PWA team. And then we sort of have this ecosystem team. Um, And with our move to Chromium, we all kind of, those three teams are now under this larger developer experiences team. And so um, we're focused on, all the different ways that we can help developers. In some cases, it's specific to Edge. So with things like WebView um, or PWAs, um, there's a whole team that manages that. And then there's our developer tools team where we do a lot of collaboration with Google, um, with the DevTools team there. 
And then our ecosystem team is kind of, which is the team that I'm on. Um, we, we're kind of a funny team because we sort of, we're kind of in that developer relations role a little bit where we sort of get our fingers into other teams and sort of help them scale up. So we're not necessarily focused on the features they're building, but we're focused on trying to get good documentation on the web about the dev tools or web view and working with the teams in that way. Um, I work a lot with our HTML platform team, which is heavily involved in like standards work and building features for developers. Um, like things they want in like CSS or, or, or something like that. Um, and so for edge, like it's, it's this just not just edge, but any web browser, like developer experience is a big thing. Cause you're trying to make building for your browser easier. Um, so that's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's really, I, I don't want to say it's, it's a new idea cause it's not, you know, but like when we think about dev tools in, in browser dev tools and stuff like that, that was really, and going back to, and I'm going to get all the history wrong about what predated what, but thinking about things like firebug and all of that, like that was revolutionary to think in that way to say like, how do I, cause you know, yeah, back in the day it was like, throw some stuff in notepad and fire it up locally and be like, I guess it looks good. And then if you were me, you put border equals green around every div so you could see what it looked like, mm-hmm. you know? And and so that's like kind of an oversimplification, but, the, but it continues down that path. Right. So that you're, you're really thinking about a full development environment for, because we're building complex experiences with mm-hmm. these tools. Right. And it's not just an overlay. It's not just, Chrome, so to speak, lowercase Chrome, right? You know, it's, it's functionality. It's all of those, all of those, those pieces and parts. So I, I want to take a step back and because maybe not everybody's as familiar with this, but I'd like to kind of dig into like what WebView actually is, because that seems like that's a really good example. So okay. tell me a little bit about that, like as a, as an edge developer, what does that do for me? And then, and why does that experience help? So like WebView is... So if you're a developer, you can use um, WebView 2, which is in development now in Chromium, but it basically enables you to embed web technologies, so like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript into your native applications. And so I have seen some interesting things like WebView being demoed in Excel um, of all programs. (laughs) Well, everything eventually comes to Excel, right? Like that's yeah. the, you know. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. So that's like uh, part of an experience and seeing like how do you how do you cross across your applications? How do you go into that th- those pieces and parts? Um, when and then when you're thinking about like the, that that tooling, what what do you think is really some of the most important stuff to think about when you're thinking about the developer experience that you're trying to build into a product? To, to keep in mind, right? Like I want to have, I mean, nobody's going to say I want to have a bad experience for people developing with my platform, but it's really easy to say I want a good one, but okay, but what's good, right? Like what are, what are things to think about? Right. So I think the biggest thing um, that we think about, and you can really see this, I think just in our approach, even on Twitter, but in um, like conference talks and whatnot, 
the edge team and and I can only speak for the edge team like other teams other browsers might be doing this but when it comes to developer um like the developer point of view we're coming from a a place of humbleness now and asking developers what it is they want because I, I, and granted I wasn't on the internet explorer team but what I have gathered is like in the past there was this very closed off sort of just like building a browser back in the day was much more closed off than it is now. And I think there's this assumption that these people who are building a web browser are web developers. So we should know like what it is they want, but the reality is that is, that is not the case at all. And so (laughs) we, we usually end up um, doing some research and asking, well, this is what we think we know. But instead of saying, this is what we think we we know, we're just going to go build it. We actually go out now into the community or do research and actually talk to actual devs to find out what it is they want. Because you can speculate all you want and say, well, I think this would be a good developer experience, but it actually may not be, and it may not be something that developers even want. So just focusing on your your users, your developers for your product um, is the key to building a great developer experience. Because if <laughs> you can build some cool feature, but if no one uses it, it like it's, yeah. yeah. Then why does it matter, right? And that's that's like, and and I think there's so many things that we talk about with this that almost resonates to like, feeling like, well, of course, right? Because like the statement is like, well, treat develop- your developer customers like you would treat your other product customers. And it's like, oh, really? Well, why would we do that? They're, they're developers, they're, right? You know, it's, and, and I, think, I think it's really interesting the way that, that you put that where you said, because when we think about a product we're building, if we perceive ourselves as either actually the customer or the user or close enough, which is probably even more dangerous. Like we're kind of, we think we're overlapping, but we're really orthogonal to what they do. We maybe subconsciously feel like we don't have to find out because we're like, okay, so I'm going to build this product to do this thing that I do all day. Well, I, I know what I need, right? So I don't need to research that. And then I think when you're thinking about building developer tools, you know, you are a developer of some kind if you're building something with technology. So it's pretty easy to fall down that path of like, oh, well, we know that, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to do our normal product stuff because we already have all this internal knowledge. So having that, and and what I wonder about is where, where those lines around developer experience get a little fuzzier within a product organization, right? Like if you're, you're building a browser, like in the case of the edge team, like that seems almost like a given, right? That you know your customer and the, the, all your only customers in a way, and I shouldn't say only, your primary customer is a developer, is the developer of that. But I'm, I'm wondering, there's, I think there's a lot of fuzzy lines with a lot of tooling that we build that has developer support, right? Like it's not its main thing that it does, but it has APIs, it has extensibility. And so I think if, if we run the danger of if it's a product that already is very focused on the people who are building on top of it, and we sometimes miss this experience, like what are we going to do when it, when that's a, a, a sidebar thing? So have you, have you seen, or what are kind of your thoughts about that? Like if I'm building a product that's extensible, but the, that extensibility is not necessarily the thing that 
people are buying? Like, what are, what are some of the ways, like, how do we get developer experience into our life cycle? That's really my question. Stepping outside of like a web browser and just thinking about like other products that are built for developers, like two of the things I think that are key to a good developer experience that you sort of need baked into your, just into your product is documentation and support. Um, I think those are absolutely key and those can make or break a developer's experience with what, um, with, with your product. And um, I, I've seen this, there tends to be, there's a tendency to sort of leave, at least that I've seen, uh, to leave sort of documentation to the end and, and, maybe not focus on it as much as we should. And I've even seen this with some like super popular, like static site generators where there's an assumption that the people who are using your technology that you're providing have a certain level of knowledge. And, and I consider myself to be pretty knowledgeable. Like I can build a website from scratch. Uh, I can figure out JavaScript if I need to, but I've definitely been on some websites trying to debug an issue and I have absolutely no idea what is being talked about. And when I go into the documentation and like try to click around, I just get into this like endless loop and and I don't know who to reach out to. So I think just in general, realizing that the people who are using your product are going to be of like many different skill levels and not assuming, not making assumptions about um, what, what they know. And like one of the, actually one of the greatest, um, this, so a little side story about my time in like user experience design, one of the greatest pieces of feedback or not feedback, but um one of the conference talks that stuck with me the longest was from Eric Meyer and it was about designing for users in crisis. And the whole point of the talk was if you can build a uh, experience that a user who is in crisis, like they're not thinking straight, like just if they can, if you can build an experience that they can navigate through easily, then um, all your other users will be able to, do that like just as well. And so I think that sort of applies to developer experience too, not necessarily. I mean, you could have developers in crisis, like something breaks on a huge site. And like, if you can't find what you need to fix that on the support pages, like, I think that's, that's not a great moment, but just sort of like applying that sort of thinking to the way you build out your documentation and support and not just, not just, throwing your documentation up there and forgetting about it, but like constantly iterating on it and being open to feedback. I think that's really, really key. And it, I mean, at the end of the day, that's coming down to, to, to empathy, right? Um, and, and I wanted to build on when you said where you don't make this assumption of the skill level, but even beyond that, it's also just the knowledge of your thing that you built, right? Like things make total sense to you because frankly, it was your idea. Right. So we will shortcut. We'll be like, well, of course, you just do this thing. 
because we've taken seven steps in our head that got us to build that part. And, and I feel like there's a lot of great tools that, that we kind of rely on. So it's like, Oh, I'll just kind of throw swagger at this. And now I've got my API documented and you're like, no, but that's not gonna, there's, there's documentation is more than a list of the function calls, right? It's not just what it does. It's how do I use it? Examples are so key. And how does someone, what's a, what's a, a realistic real world example. I can tell you there's a lot of stuff I've seen with, with tools where their, their tutorial or their onboarding is a thing you would never do. Right. But it's the easiest way to show what it does. But I'm sitting there saying like, if I am coming and wanting to use this thing, I am coming to solve a problem. And I don't want to have to extrapolate your hello world into the actual problem I want to solve. And I've, I've run into that with some really great frameworks and it's funny because some of them are connected to static site generators. And I think that's, that's the thing because you have to, the person who writes a static site generator and the person who uses a static site generator are not a perfect Venn diagram circle. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, in all kinds of different ways. Now, you probably wrote the static site generator because you're a static site generator user and you're trying to solve a problem that you like, but you also understand what you tried to create. And, and I think this goes back to all of the points of developer advocacy and then how that ties into developer experience, which is that empathy of what do your users actually want, right? And that there's, and what are the questions you're getting and saying, if someone keeps asking how to do the same thing, Mm-hmm. then that's on you, right? Then that means you probably, because I'm willing to bet that, yes, we all know there are support vampires or people who will not read the docs. But to be honest, I'm willing to bet that that's not, that those are those are just the noisy ones. Most people probably already tried, yep. you know? So that, 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 that empathy piece. And, and like you said that, and I like that design, and we're going to put a link in the show notes to that Eric Meyer talk. We're going to find it. We'll put a link to it because I'm intrigued by it already. It, it, the, the analogy I thought of was a little bit about uh, a manual transmission versus automatic, right? Like that was always the thing when I was growing up, you know, my, my mom was like, you're going to learn how to drive stick because if you can drive a stick, you can drive an automatic, mm-hmm. right? You know, so kind of along those lines, which it's like, okay, so when I'm building my tool, if I can get it for the person who is not wanting to learn all the intricacies of my thought process and, and treat, because most people are not taking your product as their key most important thing of the thing they're building. You are probably ancillary to it and you're coming in to solve one, one of their thousands of problems. Yeah. And I can tell you there's lots of products I've worked with where it feels like you have to take a six week course to learn how to do it. And you're like, okay, but I, 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 I need this for one function. Yep. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. so, <laughs> um, so I think what's kind of along that lines, I'd love to like hear a little bit about, you've talked about this, this project you work on called the web we want. And I think that might tie a little bit into understanding these experiences. Um, so you tell me a little bit more about that and did I make that connection right? And if not, then we'll talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you did. Um, so the web we want is Probably one of, well, not probably, it is um, my main focus, um, probably like 60% of my time um, in my role. And so the web we want is a, it's a cross-browser and standards initiative. It was started 
on the edge team, but it's not edge specific. I, like I want to make that clear. Um, it is, um, it's basically a forum for developers to tell us what they think is missing from the web platform. Um, and the question that we sort of ask broadly is if you could wave a magic wand and change anything about the web platform or tooling, like what would it be? It could be something super small. It could be like some very small, fe- like we've had very small features and dev tools submitted to like requests for APIs that I'm like, yes, that sounds great. I don't, I, I'm not that, that technical, but sure. <laughs> but that sounds good. <laughs> um, and so it's, yeah, it's just trying to figure out what, what has the web platform missed are people who work on the web platform or in standards groups, like what have we missed and um, what do we need to focus on? Um, one of the things that's come up uh, actually a couple times um, is HTML controls, um, which is something that I've been working on with our platform team um, for evangelism and, and uh, uh, conference talks, but it's, it's, one of those instances where it's like reassuring to see something that you're already working on, like helping to solve come up and people are like, yes, this is a huge problem. So it's, 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 it's always nice when you get a feature request that you're already working on and you're like, Oh, I have good news for you. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what do you think is the biggest takeaway and lesson that you've learned from working on the web we want? And not maybe in specifics of a control or something, but just in its impact and what you've learned about how people are working. Um, I think that, so I think developers are really sort of hungry to give their feedback. And also just that there really hasn't been a, uh, like a necessarily like a, a cross browser sort of venue for people to give feedback. So we've had like 150 like responses that were actual like valid feature requests or feature gaps. Um, and one thing that I do think is interesting, a couple of things have been submitted and, and upvoted that standards groups looked at years ago and decided that they weren't, it wasn't worth the investment. And I'm interested in that because it's like, okay, at one point you, you said that this wasn't worth the investment, but now we have data telling us that actually there are developers out there that, that would find you like would get some use out of this gap being filled or this feature being created. And so there's it, that's been really, it's been really interesting. And I think it kind of ties back in to also like some of the people in standards groups are browser makers. I know that there are like actual web developers who who are in standards groups and they have that perspective, but there are people who aren't web developers and are sort of making that assumption again that, oh, developers don't want that. And so to see things come up that were sort of put to rest long ago is really interesting to me. It, it's it's almost like things change and we have more information and the world <laughs> yeah. is different, right? And it's it's a little bit like there's sort of this statement, right? And saying open source, no is temporary, but yes is forever. And that's true. But for no to be temporary, it means you have to keep looking, right? <laughs> it can be like this thing where what we knew at the time either, and sometimes maybe even if it's a technical limitation, but 
technology's changed, our audience has changed. And be, I think that's something that a lot of people and a lot of organizations struggle with is that product is not linear in that way, right? Like, it's like we made this decision and we, we have a hard time going back and changing our mind, so to speak, or feeling like we're changing our mind because it feels like that means we don't have confidence in the thing we said before. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a really critical thing across everything to be able to say when you're working on a project, Hey, you know, stakeholder, yes, we were going to do this, but it turns out we have to change things. And there's a lot of fear of making that statement because it feels like we were, we have to say we were wrong and actually you weren't wrong. You just right. know more things now. And when you talk about like these, these older things that we know more now, so either, either it was not necessarily the best decision at the time, but I spent a lot of time talking to people about change. Right. And so when you're talking to someone who's been part of an organization or part of a structure for a long time, and you start talking about doing things better, the natural thing is people get very defensive and they want to explain, well, okay, but you don't understand. This is why we do that. And I always say like, Hey, I will reassure you right now that I have every confidence that at the time with the information you had and the situation as it was, you made the exact right decision. Totally good. Don't care. Right. Not even that. Right. You don't have to explain it to me. I believe you. And I think that's the same thing with stuff like this. It's like, Hey, with, with the people who were in place, the things they knew, the perspectives they had, maybe that was the right decision. Maybe it wasn't, but let's pretend it was yeah. because we're, because the second part of that is, but now things are different. So let's revisit that. And I think that's a, that's a good lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so that's sort of tying into, into my other question, which is coming from, I almost said non-traditional background, but almost all of us are non-traditional backgrounds these days. So, um, which is great. That's, that's not so non-traditional as it used to be, but as you've been layering on, you know, your experience as a designer, and now you're thinking about the work that you do in this, what are, what are some of those experiences and skills that you developed in, in that other work that you're doing that's really applicable to, to the way that you're making things better now? At my core, I am a designer, and the thing with design is you're solving problems. Um, and when you're a junior and maybe mid-level designer, you're pushing pic- pixels to solve those problems. Um, and now I'm in this really fascinating space where I'm still solving problems. I'm just not necessarily always pushing pixels. And so um, in terms of things like the web we want, um, I'm like, I sort of look at the whole experience, like just all up. I look at the whole experience of the project and like, okay, like what does the developer see when they get to our website? How does this flow? Uh, and, and sort of think about things like that. So, um, and even with, even outside of the web we want, but even with like dev tools, it's really fun to get to provide my perspective and give feedback on features that are in development. Like I got to, uh, provide some feedback on the grid tooling that's going into Chromium. I was excited about that because I'm also coming at it from like a, design perspective like um this is someone who builds my designs and this is this is how I go in and like debug my layout which maybe a someone who just develops and doesn't have um design skills would probably approach it differently so just having that sort of visual background allows me to approach things a little bit differently 
And when we're we're thinking about, I, I I was I was reminded of something you and I talked about offline. Um, thinking about like taking this experience work, you know, compared to feature work, and but that all still muxes together, right? Like it's still mm-hmm. one product, it's one binary, if you will, that's shipping. It's one thing. So what are I guess I'd be interested to know like some of the challenges I can imagine some of them, but what are even some of the ways to, to kind of bring those things together? Because you're thinking in different modalities Mm -hmm. as in the work stream, right? Right. So yeah. uh, Yeah. One of the things I wanted to, to talk about was just sort of this. So we use Azure DevOps to track like all of our engineering work. And one of the things with the web we want and, and just like other research that the, the program managers managers are doing, when we go interview um, developers or get new submissions to the web we want, the things that are being submitted or the, the sort of features and problems that are being extracted out of interviews, um, those are really, really hard to sort of track in Azure DevOps, because it's not just a engineering task that you can drop into to ADO and, and say, okay, well, here's how many dev days it's going to take. Like, that's not how PM work works. And that's been one of the interesting challenges, especially with the web we want, because we, we just have this sort of bucket of wants, basically, and, and we have them entered into ADO, but how do you sort of track like the different stages and brainstorming and just there's so many different things that sort of go into this work and it's really really hard to track like in a what's the word I'm looking for like a you know. A work item focus yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not a feature that you can say it's done when I press this button and this light turns green, right? right? You know, it's that that gestalt. And I think that, and and what, what you probably kind of put your finger on there is also why so many times we're so bad at this is because it's very, very hard to do it in the way that we're used to thinking about tracking work. So it gets lost. Right. You know, and it's also probably another thing. It's also hard to tie it back to value, right? Like Mm -hmm. to value in the way that an organization traditionally measures that kind of thing. Right. Like it's, it's the classic DevRel problem too. It's like, how do I track that? I gave a talk at this conference and that turned into a conversion. I mean, I can make stuff up. Trust me. I'm good at that. (laughs) Somehow that doesn't, you know, Actually, that works better than you think it does. Pro tip. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turns out you don't have to really back your numbers. Um, didn't hear it from me. So do you have any any thoughts on like how, first of all, just in general, like like if there are any ways, like, okay, well, I'm going to put it this way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you the way you challenge the web we want. So you get to wave a magic wand at Azure DevOps. And oh boy, like how, well, not everything. This is not the big thing, but specifically to that work tracking, like, what are some ways to reframe the way that we measure that work, do you think? I'm not asking you to solve this entire problem, by the way. We don't have that much time. No, but. yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Like, I haven't had that much time to think about it, but I think it, like, it is a problem, and I think there, there is a solution, but so much of... The thing with ADO is I think it was built for sort of tracking dev work, 
I, I'm not saying it couldn't change and there couldn't be some evolution into like, or some sort of feature or, or something that helps like tracking PM work in different cycles of it easier. But I, I just, I don't think it's, that's its purpose. And so I don't know that we'll get that. Well, and I think it's like not to, not to pick on, on, on Azure DevOps, um, because you're going to have the same problem with Jira. You're going to have the same problem with anything that's a work item tracking system, yeah. right? That, that is, that is a, a tracking a unit of work and, and it's thinking about how to connect it to a larger story. And yeah. I think it can be done, right? I, I think it's just that we, we kind of, cause we kind of had to learn to do that with user stories, although we usually do those pretty poorly too, right? User stories are usually, at least the way that I write them are like as, a user, I would like this button to be green so I can be happy. By the way, the the so I can for every user story I wrote is so I can be happy. Um, right. So, but when we're thinking about like saying, okay, but like you said, the, the that idea, that model of a of a story, that framework is supposed to be like thing, action, result, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're talking about a lot of this experience, it's not one thing that linearly leads to one result. And, and I guess that would be one of the things I'd be, I'd be curious about is thinking about, and maybe this is something for, this is the listening homework for all of you who are now learning about developer experiences. Like how do we understand that we're being successful with this work, right? Like how do we, I don't want to say how do we measure success, but how do we know that needle is moving and and when you can kind of break that down, you can. But that that's such a leading indicator, right? Yeah. It doesn't map into your Jira to know that the ticket is done because Cussat went up. Okay, but that takes like six to twelve months to even understand you move the needle. So, but then that means you have to leave. You have to think about that. And when we think about work that's done in sprints mm-hmm. and in small work units, it's okay. I got to get this done in two weeks. But like, if you don't know that you're done over the course of this gestalt, like you have to leave this like continually. It's sort of like always there, right? Like in yep. your in the feedback loop, you're always measuring. Well, yeah, that's the thing too. You were talking about linear, just like this linear progression of like, you have your, your work and then you have a result. And the thing that we're doing as well as on the edge team is like, um, I don't want to speak for all of Edge on developer experiences um, with features that go into like the dev tools. We don't really view them as done. So they may ship in the browser, but we're still tracking usage and feedback. And then uh, like, it, it's like a continuous iteration loop. And I'm sure at some point those features will be quote unquote done, but um Oh, like a lot of what we're doing now is yes, you do this and then you get feedback and then you go back and you iterate again. And so it's just this continuous cycle. Yeah, it, it, it really is that, that nothing is ever done and that's okay. And I think that's the thing <laughs> to understand that is that we ostensibly have changed to this model of thinking about continuous improvement, but all of our measures within organizations don't map to continuous improvement, right? They, we always right. want a thing that we can say it's done. We can have a launch party. We can do all this thing and say, we shipped it. Yay. On to the next thing. And it's like, okay, but tomorrow you get to keep going back and working on that again, because now we just learned something over the weekend. Right. You know, and that's either awesome or disheartening, depending on how you think about it. Right. And so it's all yeah. about the framing. 
I, I guess sort of the last thing I, I would want to get your, 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 your thoughts on is as you've seen, so you work with a lot of developers, a lot of engineers, you know, because your work is involved with talking to lots of people like you, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess what I'm getting at is like you have perspective across more uh, views and thoughts and ways of working than, than the average software engineer might, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what you do is talk to all of them. So are there any, any things that you would think that you think are ways where we could improve, like the ways of kind of maybe reframing how we think about how we're building these products, not necessarily from a developer experience, but also the people who are building for the web. Like what are some of the things that you think people should be thinking about that maybe, maybe they aren't always thinking about? Honestly, I think the biggest thing is just ensuring that you take out time to talk to different um Maybe not necessarily different, just a subset of your users and and talk to them and f- talk to them about their pain points, talk to them about what they like. Um, that's also been something really interesting that's that the edge team has sort of embraced. Like we're all about feedback now. Like give us your feedback. And not just your bad feedback. If there's a feature that you like, let us know because I, I think we kind of realized there's this, there was this gap missing that, oh, like, yeah, people can send us, they can complain all they want, but if they're not telling us about what we're doing right, then they're, like, I think there's still a whole bucket of opportunity um, in those things that you're doing right. Um, and so just talking to people and being open to talking to people and sort of embracing your empathy and and shed your assumptions that you might have about your product. So I don't I don't want to kind of hit on a little bit of a sore subject but we're we're both conference speakers so this is just going to have to we're just going to have to buckle down and deal with the <laughs> with what this is going to trigger but we're not going to talk about how much we miss our events and everything because we know we do but yeah. when you when you think about the the that I guess, again, external advocacy, you know, whether it's through conference speaking and things like that, what are, what are the messages that a, so it's a two part question. And I know I've been doing that all day and I apologize, (laughs) but like, one is like, what are the messages that you think are really resonating? But then also what are the messages, the stories you love to tell? And and those two questions may be connected, you know? So. Um, So the messages that have been resonating with me, and I'm just going to say sort of the same thing again, it, like it revolves around empathy and putting your, your customers, um, your users, your developers, whatever you want to call them um, first and focusing on them because you're building for them. Um, and I, I think that encompasses a lot of different things and, and we get into like accessibility and, and, and whatnot, but just overall, like, um, empathizing so, with your users. And, and so, so you feel like people are hearing that when, when your message, like that's, that's, it's, it's hitting them, you know, I, 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 I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I hope it is. Yeah. I know that, that sticks with me. So, and then what was the second question? Oh, I was just saying, what stories do you love to tell? For, so for me specifically, I love tying in things about the past and the history of certain technologies. So I'm going to talk about my HTML controls talk again. Like I got to do a pretty good deep dive into 
controls and checking out like the the specification from 1994 or 95 and digging into that and and trying to figure out why things are the way they are right now with HTML controls. And it's, it is really just fascinating for me anyway. Like I find that so fast, just interesting to dig into the history and kind of dig into how, even though it was simpler, it was still like complex and new and, and this was all like, even though it was simple or it may seem simple now, like that was complex stuff back then and really exciting. And so I just, I don't know. I love if, if you're talking about something that has roots way back then, I think digging into that history to sort of understand why things are the way they are is, is fascinating. I agree. Like tracing causality chains is always really interesting. You're like a decision was made and it was potentially very arbitrary, but then that resonated across decades. Right. You know, and because, and then you think about that and you're like, I could be making those decisions today. Right. You never know. There could be something in this podcast that you and I said that somehow becomes canon in how software engineering is done. (laughs) It's definitely going to happen. We are both very influential, but you know what I mean? But that's the thing. I mean, probably if you look at that perspective, the people who made those decisions didn't realize they were making this life change, you know, industry changing world changing thing because they called it this, right. You know what I mean? It's just, it's what made sense, you know, and then, and how would the world been different? Right. You know, so uh, that's, that's really great. And, so are there any other any other kind of last little bows to tie on when we think about building great developer experiences that you want people to come away with? I will say, so I'll say the, the same thing again that I've been saying. Listen to your users, be empathetic, um, and and be open to not only just listening to your the people you're talking to, but realize that if there are people complaining or, or unable to solve a problem because of something with your product, that if, if that doesn't get resolved or acknowledged, um, then that's, that's probably going to lead to a poor developer experience. And that can linger on for years. I'm, and I hesitate to say As- this, but I think, uh, Internet Explorer is a great example of that. So, and it can end up affecting your product in the future, even at that at that scale. So, I agree, and that goes right back to what we were just talking about. Because even these decisions that you might seem like they're arbitrary and not important can have lasting ramification. Yeah. So, so Stephanie, what do you have coming up in maybe the virtual conference space? Since unfortunately we're not we're not going to cool events now where people can see some of your great talks maybe in the near future. So I am speaking at FrontCon next month, a uh, conference in Latvia. I, they're doing a hybrid approach now uh, because I think Latvia is open uh, and, and there is no pandemic there. <laughs> um, but FrontCon, I will be talking about HTML controls. Um, and there are a couple Others coming up later in the fall. If you go to my website, stephaniestimack.com, I have a list of conferences under my speaking section. Um, I, I do sort of want to plug um, 
if you go to my YouTube channel, the HTML controls talk is on there from February. And the one that I will be giving here next month uh, is actually going to be updated with some cool new stuff about controls and the um, implementation proposals for customizing controls. So there's going to be new stuff. So, And if you want to see the evolution of a talk, I guess you could watch the February version and then watch the new yeah. one and see if you can spot the differences. It's like one of those, what well, yep. these pictures are different, right? <laughs> yep. You will not get a prize. You will just get the self-satisfaction of having paid attention to a great talk two different ways, yep. <laughs> which is really in itself the ultimate prize. So that being said, all of these things we just talked about are going to be in our show notes at arresteddevops.com slash developer experience. And if you go to arresteddevops.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store, ostensibly this helps people find the show is what they tell me. We've also always promised that if you leave a review, we might read it quote on the air. We probably won't do that, but you never know. Leave me a really fun review and, and maybe we'll do it. Right. Uh, and if you're into Spotify and iHeartRadio, you can definitely find the show there. Stephanie, thank you so much for talking with me today. This is really enlightening. There's a lot of, a lot of things and I learned a whole bunch. So thank you for, being for a part having me. Yeah, absolutely. So as always, I am Matt at Matt Stratton. This is Arrested DevOps. And remember, there is always DevOps. In the banana stand.